0: I invite you to take out your Bibles this morning and turn to the book of 2 Timothy, 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 14 through 17, 2 Timothy 3, 14 through 17. It's almost toward the end of the Bible, page nine hundred and 996, if you're looking in the Pew Bible this morning. Well, we're beginning our study of the Reformation. We are in the 500th year of the Reformation. Uh, On October 31st, Martin Luther, an obscure, not well-known monk in an obscure and not well-known place in Germany, Wittenberg, had, uh, he had been teaching and trying to train uh, young men for the priesthood and teaching them in a seminary, uh, in, in a seminary there, and He had uh, growing suspicions of some of the things that were being taught in the Catholic Church. And so he took those suspicions and wrote them out, 95 theses, and he nailed them to the church door at Wittenberg, which was kind of like their social media for the day. It was like their Facebook. He had 95 grievances that he wanted to uh, be evaluated and tested uh, against Scripture. Now, those things that he noticed, those abuses, really had started coming, uh, coming noticed in the broader church about 100 to 150 years before him. So you have men like uh, uh, Wycliffe and John Huss and William Tyndale who were forerunners of the Reformation who uh, all saw major issues going on in the Catholic Church, and it wasn't just those men. There was many other men who, who had problems and things that they saw. And, and as they read the scriptures, they didn't quite match up together. And so uh, those three men that I just mentioned, Wycliffe, Huss, and Tyndale, uh, were condemned as heretics by the church because they dared to teach that normal, regular people should read the scriptures for themselves. And so Tyndale and Huss were actually killed as heretics But not until their teaching had gone forth in Europe and eventually it came all the way to Luther and it was the right time uh, for the Reformation to start. I can't overstate the importance of the Reformation. Every area of life was affected. Historical, political, theological, philosophical, social, everything goes back to the Reformation. And in fact, I've told you this before, but... All of us are here today because of the events of the Reformation. Um, so it's important for us to go over these things, to look at these things. And our plan over the next few weeks is to look at the five basic distinctions of the Reformation. Um, it, these things didn't, uh, they weren't consolidated or, or taught necessarily um, in this way throughout the Reformation. It was Hundred years after the events of the Reformation, that historians and theologians were looking at all of the things that the, the uh, Reformation uh, um, leaders were writing, and they said there are five basic things that have come out of the Reformation. And they call them the solas of the Reformation. The Latin word sola just means alone. And so these are the five alones of the Reformation that. We believe in Scripture alone, that Scripture alone is our final authority. We believe that salvation comes through faith alone, through God's grace alone, that's three, in Christ alone, and then finally to God's glory alone. We have five weeks in October, and we're going to take one of these every, uh, each of those weeks and look at them to understand the importance of these things. And we're going to ask two questions. Where do we stand as a church? Where do we stand? On, on what are we standing? What are the principles that make us a church? And then another way to ask that question is what makes us different as a church? Um, why are we so weird? <laughs> and I would argue it's because we, uh, we stand on these principles of the solas of the Reformation. So the first one we're going to look at today is sola scriptura. And we're going to see this in 2 Timothy verse, chapter 3, verses 14 through 17. This is God's good and kind word to you today. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and firmly believed, knowing from whom you have learned it, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the scriptures, with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, And for training in righteousness. That the man of God may be competent. Equipped for every good work. The grass withers and the flowers fade. But the word of the Lord stands forever. Let's pray and ask for his help and understanding. Pray with me. Father we thank you for giving us this word. And we thank you that it is our solid foundation. That we do not have to guess. What you would expect from us. But we know. That salvation comes through faith in Jesus Christ because of your revealed word. Father, we pray that we would have an appreciation for it, a love for the scriptures. And a love for you because of what you teach us about yourself and your character in these words. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. So first of all, uh, we're going to look at this uh, and just look at the authority of scripture. The authority of scripture. Um, I, I think this, this question of authority is the most important question that we can ask. Who's in charge? And I think it's an important question, um, that we're, we we should not just be, uh, asking, but actually the whole world is concerned about this question of authority. Who has it? Who should we be listening to? And it doesn't matter where you come from, you are listening to someone as an authority. Uh, I don't know if you've paid attention to this, but in the news and, and all over the world, there's, there's a movement called um, anarchism. And, and you've probably heard that word. You know what that word means. Uh, most of you do. But it's essentially the, the movement that says that, that we shouldn't listen to any authority, that there should be no political structure, no government's there shouldn't be any religious authority or anything over us like that, That every individual is responsible for himself or herself, and there should be no, um, no authority. Now what's interesting about anarchists is that they gather together in groups and they elect leaders and people to tell them what they need to be doing. <laughs> There's something ingrained in us, even for people that believe that no one should have authority, that someone needs to be telling us what to do. And and the idea of authority, the, the issue of authority, has been the issue from the very beginning. Genesis chapters 1 and 2 deal with the question of authority because we're told that God made the world and everything in it. It belongs to Him. And God tells us that He has the authority. And then, of course, in Genesis 2, His creation... Made in his image, Adam and Eve decided that they would take that authority onto themselves. And so Genesis 3 essentially shows what history, human history, is about. Human history is about trying to wrestle authority from God. Everyone rests upon an authority. Everybody looks to something to tell them what they should do. Well, who should we listen to? We believe... That the Scriptures are the final authority over our lives. Now, I want to make a, a uh, clarify something here. That as Protestants, we believe that the Bible is the final authority, um, and that's what essentially what we mean by Scripture alone. But in that alone, we're not saying that Scripture is the only authority. There's an important distinction there. Um, The Catholic Church, especially around the time of the Reformation, they had begun to put forward this idea, and really a few hundred years before this, that it wasn't merely that we go to Scripture as our final authority, but that we put the Holy Word of God and our church tradition together, and that forms our authority. So that Catholics, by and large, believe that it's Scripture and tradition, that Scripture and the traditions of the church Formed their authority and so the the church uh, and the traditions of the church they interpret scripture and then the scriptures interpret uh, the, the traditions and so it kind of goes hand in hand like that and because of that the position of the church and the authority of the church took a place in uh, that day and age that it just shouldn't have had according to the scriptures we don't believe That tradition is on the same level as the Scriptures. In fact, we believe that the Scriptures stand over and above all the other authorities. But, again, we do have a tradition that we go to and we look to. But we believe that our tradition must be informed and directed by the Scriptures. And so this church, in this gathering, look, we have a liturgy that we follow we do certain things every single week because we believe that they are biblical. And that's part of our tradition. You go to other churches that are trying to be biblical as well, and they're doing things as well that are maybe slightly different than what we do, but, but Protestants believe that it's we don't have the right to mess with the way that we worship God until we go back to God's Word as the authority to tell us how we should live our lives, what we should be doing, and what the church should look like. Look in verse 16, Um, Paul tells Timothy, and he's writing to a younger pastor, he says, remember that all Scripture is God-breathed. And in that statement, that is breathed out by God, that is Paul saying that this, that Scripture, Holy Scripture, is the authority of God. That it is the life-giving Word of God. That, That God breathes it out. So that his creation will have life by it. And so we stand upon the authority of scripture as the thing that informs us how we should live our lives, what we should be doing. Again, not the only authority, but certainly the final authority on all things related to Christianity. Nonbelievers are going to submit to lots of different authorities. Nonbelievers will submit to reason, to science, to observation, to governments. I mean that's that's essentially what um, communism is. Communism is saying that we submit to the government as the final authority. But believers say we submit only to the authority of God. And that God has the right to bind our conscience to tell us what we do or what we should do. So that's the first thing we see, that we believe in the authority of Scripture. Secondly, though, we also believe not just that Scripture is authoritative and stands over us, but that by God's grace, it is useful. So we see that here in verse 16 as well. All Scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable or useful for doing various things. We're told it's useful for teaching, for reproof, for correction and for training in righteousness, you see, uh, God's word isn't just authoritative, but it God gave it to us so that we would use it, and it so that it could be useful. Um, I from from the year two thousand and one to about two thousand and fourteen, I watched Alton Brown's show, Good Eats just about every single night. It would come on the Food Network from 10, 10 o'clock to 11 o'clock, and he would run two 30-minute shows back-to-back. And Alton Brown is this incredible chef that really is training home chefs how to cook. And I, I got my love for, for cooking from him. But in his show, he would take complicated things and explain the science behind the cooking and would explain how we how things work. So how, why does a souffle up the way that it does, and he gives all these little neat things. But one of his rules that he had was that in his home kitchen, he never had an item or a tool that couldn't be used for more than one purpose. Everything was a multitasker, and he said he understood something that home cooks, home chefs. You have a limited amount of resources. You can't just go run to the restaurant supply store and replace things. And so you have to buy good tools and tools that were good at more than one thing. He forbid the use of of single-task instruments. It had to be a multitasker. And so I learned from him how to use maybe five or six different tools to do hundreds of different things in the kitchen. He actually said there's only one multitasker, and that is the fire extinguisher. <laughs> in his kitchen, he allowed a fire extinguisher. But it's kind of, God's word is kind of like that. It's a multitasking thing. It's given to us not just so that we know that God is in charge and that he is the authority, but he has given us this word so that we would make use of it. And so he, and so he says, you know, it's not like God's word isn't a magic thing charm or a lucky charm or anything like that I know people that will leave their Bibles in their cars um, so that no one will break into it <laughs> they treat their Bibles like a lucky charm or or you know people soldiers will carry their Bibles into into battle which is a good thing to do but they do it so that God would protect them using it like a lucky charm And that is not what the Bible is for. God gave it to us so that it would transform us to be more and more like Christ. And the Reformers believed that we should be reading our Bible. Shocker of shockers, we actually need to be reading and studying and pouring over these words. Um, There were three basic principles that the Reformers believed in. They first of all believed that Scripture interprets Scripture. So Scripture is its own interpreter. So that I can't stand up here and tell you what the scriptures say based on my opinion. But I have to go back to the scriptures and make sure the scriptures are interpreting the scriptures. Secondly, they believed in the right of private interpretation. They believed in the right of private interpretation. That because of the priesthood of all believers, individual Christians, by virtue of being a Christian, you have the right to read the Bible for yourself, to study it. And to interpret it for yourself. Prior to the Reformation, most of the Bibles were written in Latin, in the Vulgate. So that average, common, regular people, even if you could read, you probably could not read Latin. And so the Reformers took pains and labors and many of them gave their lives so that you and I could read the Bibles in our own language. And in fact, many of us can read today because the reformers believed that you and I should read primarily to read the Bible, and they believed in the perspicuity of Scripture. Perspicuity is a word that we don't use anymore, um, and it's a word that spell checker does not think is spelled right, even when it's clearly spelled right. Perspicuity of Scripture means that it's clear that Scripture is clear. Enough. Not that everything is equally clear, but of the things that are the most important, primarily concerning salvation through faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ, that even children and babies can understand those things. So the Bible is clear enough to get the main point across. And because the reformers believed those three things, they, they gave their lives for the sake of the scriptures so that we can read it. Now, what are the things that it, what does it do? Well, it teaches us. It's, it's suitable for teaching, it's suitable for reproof, for, for, for transforming us, for, for showing us where we're wrong, for correction and for training in righteousness. God gave the, the, the Bible to His people so that we would grow more and more like Christ. Now we don't believe that the Bible contains all of the information about everything, OK? We don't believe that it is, so this is just an example, the Bible is not a scientific textbook. It doesn't go in and give us all the details about how God did everything according to the principles that he created and all of those things. It's not a science textbook. But we do believe that because it's authoritative that all science must stand under the word of God and be submissive to the word of God. But you will not learn anything in the Bible about quirks, or subatomic, subatomic particles, you will not learn anything, uh, or, or the specifics about galaxies or any of that sort of stuff. The big stuff, the small stuff, the in-between stuff. It's not a scientific textbook, but we do believe that science submits and should submit to the Word of God. But it is given to us as a book to transform us. It is the correct tool for the job. I mean, how many times have you gone and tried to use the wrong tool to do one job? If you, if um, there, I'm fascinated by people that use chainsaws to do all sorts of things, and um, they use chainsaws and ice sculptures. That seems wild, crazy to me that they would do that. It seems like the wrong tool, but it's the right tool apparently. But but we use the scriptures. Uh, as the tool that God has given us to transform it. It is the right tool for the job and we need to be making use of it. Now the third thing that we see here is we see the necessity, the absolute necessity of Scripture. And so in verse 17, that the man of God may be competent, equipped for every good work. We see in the Word of God and from the Word of God that it is absolutely necessary for us. And in fact, there is no life apart from the Word of God. It's not just that it's useful to us, but it is absolutely necessary. What are the things that you really need to survive? What are the things that you must have in order to survive? Well, you can't live for more than a few seconds without air. You need air. You can't live very long without water. You need water. You can live a little bit longer if you have water. uh, But if you don't have food, maybe two months you can live without food. And you need shelter and you need clothing. Those are the things that we need physically. But what do we need to survive, not just physically, but spiritually? That's what we read earlier, Matthew 4, 4, where Jesus, looking at Satan, Satan who has tempted him and said, you know, since you're hungry, you've gone without food for 40 days and 40 nights. If you, if you just turn these stones into bread, you can eat. And Jesus says, man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. You and I do not live and have our sustenance by the things that we eat, the things that we take into our bodies, by the things that we do. We have it by the word of God. Um, it's only in the Bible that we, we hear certain things. It's only in the Bible that you hear exactly just how bad you are. It's only the Bible that stands in front of you as a mirror and tells you exactly what you're like. In our bedroom, we have a mirror that I hate. I hate this mirror because... I can stand in front of it, and it is one of these longer mirrors. And I stand, and I was doing it today. And I thought about this: I stand in front of that mirror, and I'm transformed. I look to be about six foot one in that mirror, and I look to weigh about 180 pounds. So six more, 180. And I stand in front of that mirror, and I go, "Wow, that guy! Yeah, he looks good." And so I put my tie on, and I go out. And then in our bathroom, there's another mirror that is terrible. And that mirror says, you're 5'4 five, you're five and 190 pounds. And you go, ugh. Oh. One of those mirrors is accurate. <laughs> One of those mirrors tells me what I'm really like. And most of the world is going after the mirror that tells them what they're not like. Well, the Bible is the mirror that tells us exactly what we're like before God. That we are dead sinners. That we deserve nothing but His wrath. But God in His grace and His mercy has given Himself to us in His Son so that we can have salvation through faith in Him. Only the Bible will tell you that story. That true story. That real story. Only the Bible will tell you exactly what God is like. Exactly what you are like. And exactly what you need God to do for you. It's only found in the Bible. And so the Reformers made the preaching of the Word of God the central thing of the worship service. They made what we're doing right now the most important thing. Because you can take the Lord's Supper in a moment, but let me just suggest to you that no one has ever been converted by taking the Lord's Supper. The only way that any sinner becomes a saved individual is through the hearing and the responding of the pre- to the preached Word of God. That's how God transforms us. Transforms. And so we do take the sacraments and we hold to a very high view of the sacraments so much so that I warn you every single time we take it. The sacraments are important but the sacraments are nothing apart from the Word of God that inform us about the sacraments. And so God works in the sacraments but He works more powerfully in the Word. And it's just a reality that God's Word is easily neglected and covered over. There's this scary story in the Old Testament where God's people, for 40 years, forget that they have even a Bible. They just don't even... No one in Israel even knows that there's such thing as a Bible. And then they go into their old building, the old temple, and they start cleaning junk out and all this stuff. And Ezra finds... The word of God. And he starts reading it. And then there's a transformation that happens in Israel. It is easy for us to neglect the word of God. And it's only one generation from now. Where you or your children have forgotten about God's word. But only the Bible rightly diagnoses who we are. Only the Bible tells us exactly what we need. And only in the Bible can we find the solution to our real sickness. And that's salvation through Jesus Christ. I just want to close by reminding you of this. Um, The men and the women who pushed for the Reformation 500 years ago, they were taking their lives into their hands. Men and women gave their lives so that you can sit here today and read God's word. And you and I will just neglect it. We won't even think about it. We just just leave it alone all throughout the week and then we come to church and yeah, we get it again. Don't neglect the thing that people have given their lives for. You need to read your Bible. You need to study your Bible with other believers. You need to believe the things that it says. And then also, finally, you know, we're about to take the Lord's Supper. And the wonderful thing is it's only in the Bible that you will hear about what God has done to save sinners. And it's pictured for us in the Lord's Supper. Um, only the Bible says that you are so bad that God had to leave his home, his comfortable palace where he ruled and reigned, that he had to come down here to live among us, to take your sin on on. Himself To have his body broken. To have his blood spilled so that you could have life. Only the Bible says that God died for you. No other religion has that. No other religion can even conceive of that. But the Bible says that it's true. And in the Lord's Supper, we celebrate it. We are reminded of it. We think of those things. But also, Jesus has to really be with us in this meal. And so we celebrate it now because of everything that he's done. Let's not neglect God's word and let's stand upon it. Let me pray for us. Father, we thank you for giving us this, your word, and we thank you that we can have life from hearing it and through the work of the Spirit making us alive to it. Father, we pray as we go into now, as as we go into the celebration of the Lord's Supper, that we would be reminded of your words to us, that it is finished because of Christ. We pray this in his name. Amen. I invite the elders to come forward now.